0: Hello, this is Daniel Vale with uh, Daniel Vale's Use of A. Three weeks in counting. Please check my latest episode that I'm that I've added to my account, where I talk about the first ever Starcade because of the in honor of Starcade from this past Sunday. Please listen to it fully and let me know in the comment section what you think. Thank you and goodbye. Hello, welcome to Daniel Bayon's views of wrestling. No, Daniel Bayon's WWE Network review. Um, I was gonna do a mid uh NWA Mid Atlantic TV episode um discussion. But instead of doing that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention what happened in, like, say, June 4th, I believe, in 1983. I believe it was what we used to call a live event. Now we call... Now I think it's a live event either way. Anyway, house show is what we call it today. And a house show... Because they did the promoters in the N.W.A., the Crockett Promotion. The, um, all the promoters in the N.W.A. outside of Vincent Sr. and a few others that voted for Ric Flair to be heavyweight champion first time. They did not have the confidence in him to be a long-term champion. So they took, uh, Harley Race, um... And on June third they by the way, Harley Race was already champion six times. So they had Ric Flair drop the title to him. So um because he was a because he was a good draw, uh, Ric Flair, they spent from June until August or September building up the first ever Starcade pay-per-view, and, and, uh, they did the, um, I mean, I spoke about this before, but I don't remember speaking about it on, um, on, here on Patreon, so that's why I'm doing this, but I'd start off from the beginning, cause, pay, because, pay-per-views, or what, is what the, um, is what the discussion is supposed to be about. Um, so, let me just start right here. Um, it was around this time when the feud between, uh, the, between the Briscoes and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, had already started, but instead of the instead of the, bris- the Briscoes being the tag team champions, the NWA tag team champions, I believe, it was Steamboat and Youngblood. So they had to eventually answer. They had to eventually find a way to defend the titles against the Briscoes, and the Briscoes defeated them for the titles. So, time went on, months went by, they became number one contenders and became the challengers for uh, for the Briscoe's tag team titles. Um, also for Starcade, they, to make it spectacular and really unforgettable, they also started around this time, Greg and Valentine's feud with, with uh... Roddy Piper and to make it spectacular somebody in real life said to Piper I want you to get a uh dog collar and I want you and Greg Valentine to wrestle in it cause it was something people had never seen before they had seen the original Texas Bull Rope match where it was whoever gets the first pin whoever gets the first pin full wins the match But this was like this is different this is different in every aspect because before you had to drag your opponent with a bull rope with one part tied around your wrist whereas this you had to you had um to have the dog collar strapped around your neck like the dogs do and you had to pull them, and they had to pull you back and forth until, one, of you found a way to beat them, so, really an interesting match, it just very horrific, the way it happened, which I'm going to talk about that, uh, also, and also the, uh, the great Kabuki was the TV champion, he eventually went against, um... The Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, and Jimmy Valiant, people who don't know who he is, he was, um, one of the most charismatic men you'll find along with Dusty Rhodes, and that's why they call him Boogie Woogie Man, because he would, he would dance all the time, and he was very, uh, colorful. Very entertaining. Hilarious, to be honest with you, well, I saw one video, one match of his on the classic Superstars of wrestling DVD. He went against Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. And when Eddie Gilbert took a chair in the ring and he took it from him, he set the uh, the chair down. He said on top of it, just with his antics and everything, it was just hilarious. Um, so, yeah. He, lo- he, ended up leaving, he ended up losing a three-month uh, Loser Leafs Town match. And just like in Mid-South. He came just like in Mid-South when Junkyard Dog put on a mask. After he lost a Loser Leafs Town match for three months. Three months. Where he had to leave and never show up for three months. Just like he showed up. With a mask and called himself Stagger Lee. That's what Jimmy Valiant did. He put on a mask and he called himself. Charlie Brown. And also you had. Um, some other matches that were filler matches. Um, that. Go to the pay per view section of the network. Okay, found it the Starcade section. Let's go all the way to the first one. is this has audio so i'm gonna have to put it on mute okay I put it on mute so y'all wouldn't um So y'all wouldn't hear anything outside of, um, me talking. Okay, this is what I always said I wanted to do. Said, let me say that. said that when I do this. I said when I want to do this, I would do like. A commentator, and I would do play-by-play, play and just really, because I, I didn't think anybody else did that. So I was just trying my best. I hope y'all enjoy the way I do this. By the way, this is on a, this is gonna be on um, Apple Podcasts. So if you don't want to pay anything to listen to this, you can just listen to it for free on the Apple Podcast app. Okay, starts out by the way, uh, the the Mid Atlantic show I, I had seen from 1983. They show that Bugsy McGraw had hurt his knee, or that some people had hurt his knee in a sneak in a unfair. Assault. They were being one against him. It was three or four. And they decided to hurt his knee. Sent a message or something. Well he teamed up. With. Uh, Rufus R. Jones. Which I believe. Was a good friend. And taxi partner. Of uh, Mr. USA Tony Atlas. They teamed up. With each other. To go against. The assassins. The interesting thing is they didn't, you didn't know which one was which because they had similar body types and the masters (coughs) made them both look uh, alike. So you didn't know which one was one and which one was two so you just called them one and two. But I wish they would still do today and they may do this. In some companies. But you never see this on the WWE. That they. But I used to always. Check. The tights. To see if. um, If the wrestlers. Were carrying any. Illegal objects. And my brother. Once thought. That because Jim Duggan. Would take out a roll of tape. Of tape and hit his opponent. Said that was illegal, but that is not. That's not one of them. So really, to be honest with you, the only thing I could think of them looking for, yeah, you, they would have needed to look by the knee pads because I actually saw Ric Flair do this once in the WWE, and that was the only thing I could think of them. Check uh hiding would be brass nucks and unless the brass nucks are paper, made out of paper, you can't hide them in the tights. So the only place I would uh I would think of searching myself would be the knee because that's where the that's where the regular brass nucks would fit. Okay, Bugsy McGraw's putting his hands over his eyes like it's a binocular. I'm not sure what he was doing. Gordon Sully is doing the commentary probably with, uh, I actually forgot his name, but, uh, Tony Schiavone mentioned him in his podcast once where he said that before he would rather, if he goes in the Hall of Fame, he would rather see, uh, this commentator go before him. Bob Cottle, that's what it was. Thank you for calling the commentator. I think the commentary team were Bob Cottle and uh, um, Jim Ross's hero um, Gordon Soley. And the referee turns around and goes check the masked assassins. He's but yeah, he didn't even have to tell the manager to get out of the ring. He started getting out of the ring before they rang the bell Buggy starts the match now, I always wondered why it looked like his knee was hurt So obviously it was real injury and it wasn't acting But of course, we know that the injury didn't come on purpose because If you did anything on purpose, you would not last long in that business. Let's see. First, the Masked Assassin. They go for a lockup. Bugsy McGraw, the Masked Assassin. Side headlock by the Assassin. Irish whip by Bugsy McGraw gets knocked down. The Assassin runs and then gets uh, thrown with a... Hip toss, McGraw misses the elbow drop, and so does Masked Assassin. He gets picked up by Bugs McGraw and body slammed. For some reason, Bugs McGraw wanted to unmask the Assassin. He started unlacing the mask, and the Assassin rolled out of the ring. Paul Jones, that's the manager. Paul Jones is having a consultation with him. But, uh, I believe one of them sits places with the other. But, of course, I'm probably mistaken. As a matter of fact, I am. The masked assassin, the legal masked assassin, got back in the ring. So, you can see, he was... Straightening out his, uh, his masks, you know, to make it to where it'd be hard to take his mask off. Now, let's see. Irish whip? No. Lock up. I don't know why I keep on saying Irish whip. It is an Irish whip, but not in the middle of the ring. Lock up Into the ropes again. This time a knee to the gut of Bugsy McGraw. This time an Irish whip. This is the chop. He gets hit with an elbow by Bugsy McGraw once again back to the mask then they start hitting each other right and left Bugsy McGraw's getting better of the situation assassin falls down and Bugsy McGraw is spinning around in circles I I don't know if he's being entertaining or he was losing his mind but he, he did look funny when the first masked assassin, Tags and his taxi partner, and I believe the second assassin is Jody Hamilton, uh, the real-life father of referee Nick Patrick. He's getting a, advice from the manager Paul Jones. Okay, about to lock up again. Let's see. Headlock by the second assassin Irish whip Shoulder block takes down Bugsy McGraw Runs right into Bugsy McGraw That looked more like a Like a throwing power slam Then another hip toss to the second assassin Or the first Or the first hip toss To the second assassin by the second hip toss of the night Tags in Rufusura Jones Couple of thrusts then two right, right and left at the same time. A couple of rights and an elbow knocks down the second assassin. Then a right hand and an Irish whip coming up. Ooh, right hand into the gut. Falls down, hooks the leg. One, two, kick out. The, the cameraman, I I don't know what happened, but he lost his uh. He lost where he was at, so he had to come back with the camera. He showed them standing up already. Side hip, side hip tossed by Robesar Jones. He's got him in a wrist lock with him on the ground. Puts his foot over the assassin's face. think he almost like raked his eyes with his foot. Put his elbow, knee into the either the tricep, or the underarm area. Stands up and Rufusard Jones has such a hard head that when the second assassin hit him with the right hand, he was like, ooh, that hurts. <laughs> so he's shaking his hand to get the get the feeling back in his hand. And a headbutt to the bicep of the masked assassin. He tags in Bugsy McGraw hand just suck. right hand right hand into their corner tags in the other assassin Like in the ground that of that with a couple of right hands to the illegal assassin then a then an elbow to the head of the legal assassin You can see Paul Jones fussing them about how to take this guy down, something to that effect. Rishlock this time to Bugsy McGraw, who turns it to get him weakened or weaker in the uh, probably the rotator cuff. Bugsy McGraw looks like he's about to go for a right hand. The referee was trying to tell him not to. So let's see what he does. Oh, gives him an elbow on the head a couple of times. He gets out of it into a wrist lock. Tags back in Rufus R. Jones. Right hand. Close to the rotator cuff. Goes in with the wrist lock. Let's see what Masked Assassin does. Headbutt to the bicep. Hold on to the wrist lock. Right hand, or it's to that. No, the right hand, yeah. Once again to the forehead. Headbutt to the, by a couple of times to the bicep. By Rufus Jones. Let's see. It's such a long time since I saw this video. Actually, uh. I remember the wins and everything, but I don't remember the in between moments, so that's why I love doing this. Let's see. Give him a right hand. Right, couple of right, I mean, two. Right, right, and left a couple of times. Knocks out, knocks down the assassin. See what, uh. Rufus does next. Right hand. To so the assassin in the corner two times. Irish club coming up. Ooh. And takes his time. He looks over to Bugsy. Almost like. What should we do next? Or what should I do next? And the assassin is begging off. Doesn't do any good. He stomps him in the gut. Therefore, he's telling back off, and that's when Assassin comes to his feet. I think he got a, uh, not sure what he got, but he rakes his eye with it. Um, and it's in his sleeve somewhere. Puts it back in his wrist. Rakes his eye again. Tags in um and that's the, the other assassin. He hits. Rufusar Jones in the back. With like a form. And in comes. Second assassin. I rakes. Actually rakes both of his eyes. With both hands. Right hand to the face. And right hand to the face. And. The more he does this. The more fired up. Rufusar Jones is getting. He's on his knees so headbutts. The masked assassin in his. Stomachy curls to the to his corner, tags and bugs in the ground. Right and left and elbow. By the way, the other assassin made a tag. So he gets to his corner, tags in other assassin. Two, three, four, five. Left, flings right hand, elbow, right. Then I come the elbow the legal assassin right, right hand to the illegal assassin and it comes Rufus or Jones and they both start fighting with the assassins ends up going for the old-fashioned atomic job on the knee gets him Irish whip to the assassin tags in as a pearl as a partner thanks with Bugsy McGraw backflips the The guy who just made the tag. Then the legal guy comes in. Roll up. One, two, three. The assassins win. Okay. Gordon solely acknowledges that that is a... Disappointing situation for McGraw and Jones. He said, knowing the assassins and watching them compete over the years, I am not surprised. He said, they are clever, they are devious, and they are extremely powerful. And that's when Bob said, right you are. Fans, I'm Bob Cottle along with Gordon Soley he said how delighted they are to bring them action wherever they are. But, um, and he said, and this time it's in Greensboro, North Carolina, which, you got Greensboro, North Carolina, you got Greenville, South Carolina. You might even have a Greenville, North Carolina that I don't know about. But I believe that those are, from both North and South, those are two of the most popular cities in both the carolinas north and south that i hear of in the in wrestling so that's why this is so fun because you not only get you not only do i get to um talk about pay-per-views and the tv shows on talk about the wrestling tv shows on automatic and the pay-per-views here on uh on patreon but it's also um, fun that uh, I get to look at the videos let me say that by doing these things it's fun to see all the or to hear the stories from that time about all the cities they went to throughout the week. So that's what I look forward to doing on on automatic while I am building up to the next pay per view here on a uh, Patreon. Okay, I will do a few notes. I will do several episodes of unpodomatic uh, about what started the uh, the storylines heading in- into this, but uh, I'm glad to see that I glad to do this episode because I love talking about pay-per-views. They said that they were in Greensboro, North Carolina, for Stargate '83. Because they had been not only watching it, but commentating, you know, calling the action in it for so long. He said, we've been been seeing wrestling for a long time, and the fans around the world have seen you from Superstation 17. This is the wrestling event of all time. That's when he said to Bob Cuddle. No doubt about that. Let me just say this. The Starcade 83, it is the flair for the gold. There's no question about it. World Heavyweight Championship on the line tonight. Two times World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair going back against seven times World Heavyweight Champion Harley Race. And of course one other man the only man to stand in between them during their championship careers is here tonight going to challenge the winner, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And I believe the Special guest referee for the main event was a former heavyweight champion and his owner, I, Gene okay. that's in his own right, Gene Karneski. Okay, that's when Bob said, Gordon, I tell you, we have some other people around around us. Let's uh, want them to see. And they, they actually cut to the camera before... Tony was given the directive to talk. Tony Schiavone, that is. Right behind him, you can see Ric Flair talking. I believe it's to, um... Actually, this is why I love looking at the old videos, because I really don't know who this guy is. It could have been Angelo Mosca, or it could have been, um... Chief O. McDaniel. that's what's interesting about this. Tony said, thank you very much, and we are here in the dressing room, and here comes Charlie Brown walking past him with his mask on and his clothes on. He said, this is Tony Schiavone, and we are going to give a unique view tonight during Starcade 83, something you've probably never seen before in professional wrestling i'm here in the dressing room between each and every or i'll be going to the dressing room between each and every match we'll be talking to some of the winners we will be talking to some of the losers we'll be talking of uh talking to the people involved in starcade 83. around that time i think ricky steamboat walked in uh shakes hands with rick flair and Right behind him is t- his tactic partner, Jay Youngwood. Tony Schiavone was mentioning all, all the people that just came, pa- came behind him. He said, as you can see right now behind me, some of the wrestlers are here. They're all excited. They've been here for a while. They're talking about the events coming up. Of course, it will all culminate with the World Championship match between Ric Flair and Harley Race. Flair for the gold. We'll be here. We'll be over talking to Harley Race. We'll talk to Ric Flair moments before they go into the ring tonight. To ask them how they feel about Starcade 83. About the night that they've waited for. Such a long time. By the way. It's actually. I believe it's Roddy Piper talking to Ric Flair. Because he was actually turning around about that time and the only person that looks like that and doing that would be Roddy Piper because he always looked crazy. (laughs) He said, we hope you will join us, hope you will be with us. We'll talk to some of the wrestlers and you'll get the unique view that you've never seen before in professional wrestling. We are just about ready for the second match to begin. This time we go to the voice of the Greensboro Coliseum and the ring announcer. Here's Tom Miller. By the way, uh, the reason I like, another reason I like this, excuse me, or this time period is because, you know, I grew up watching videos, you know, like most people did when I was growing up. In every video, I would see Roddy Piper was usually the quote heel. Well, and that's why this is such an interesting time period because he was the babyface, and it's an interesting time period because even though the matches I saw, him, one match in particular I saw of him, even though he was the babyface you didn't know if he was gonna act like a baby face cause, because he was, you know, Roddy Piper. You know, it was it's too easy sometimes for him to go from bad guy to good guy. No, good guy to bad guy, excuse me. Because you didn't know what to expect from him. But it was still good it was still good to see him wrestle. Anyway, that's what's interesting about this. Cause I the only time I saw him as babyface was when he came into WCW and he right away went against Hollywood Hogan and the NWO. Then he was joined by Ric Flair. Then he ended up going against Ric Flair. Then he ended up joining Ric Flair toward like say nineteen ninety nine. So that was Only time I could really remember seeing him as a heel in WCW was about 1998 or 99. Okay. Go back to the pay-per-view itself. Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a tag team match. One fall with a 45-minute time limit. And you have... Um... Mark Lewin, I believe, and Kevin Sullivan. Good, Dennis Weaver, and somebody with an last name of McGor, I believe. So. But fast forward that. Okay. Glad I'm saying this, because some of these things... I need to read out loud because otherwise I don't know their names. Let's see, the corner to his left, um, somebody from Indianapolis, Indiana, two hundred and thirty-seven pounds, and that's Johnny Weaver. Everybody was cheering for him, of course. In those days, you had you, things were still traditional, so you knew it was good and bad. His tag team partner. was from Florida. 216 pounds. Scott McGee. It's not McGore, It's McGee. Okay. Then. First from Boston, Massachusetts. With uh, Gary Hart in their corner. First person is from. Boston, Massachusetts. Kevin Sullivan. Who is weighed in. At 230 pounds crowd is chairing his team partner accompanied by uh, Gary Hart so it's his manager not, uh, not Kevin Sullivan so okay his name is Mark Lewin and they say Johnny Sonny Fargo was the referee looking at him he could have been a Could have been Brother to Brother or father to Jackie Fargo From the Tennessee days Where they just happened to Resemble each other He's telling them Stay in their corner And wait for the bell Calls for the bell Start moving around the ring Lock up and Kevin Sullivan and uh, uh, let me see Johnny Weaver Dennis Weaver. That's what it is. Dennis Weaver did a couple of runnings over the back of, uh... Kevin Sullivan, and Kevin Sullivan jump down on the mat. Then a lead prog, Then a dropkick knocks down Kevin Sullivan. Two dropkicks. Then... The case was, uh... Scott McGee, that's who it was. So Kevin Sullivan tags in. um... Mark Lillard. Okay. Block up between the two of them. Ducks the chop. Gets chopped to the back of his head. but doesn't seem to affect him. Tags and Kevin Sullivan back in. McGee gets out of the side headlock in his corner, talking to his partner. Doug gets a lockup with Kevin Sullivan. Tags and his partner. Johnny Weaver made the tag. Side headlock to Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan goes with the Irish whip. Crisscross. Wait, and it looked like he was about to hit Sullivan with the right hand. Sullivan well, holds on to the ropes. Ends up tagging in Mark Lewin. Let's see. Looks like he's going for a test of strength. Or at least looks like he wants to. But wrist side wrist lock. Gets out of it with the wrist lock of his own. Elbow a few times across the uh, rotator cuff. Tags it back in... Scott McGee. If that turns the wrist of his own. Scott McGee. Scott McGee gets out of it. Goes for another. Um, not really sure what he was going for. But they go for. Uh, lock up. And he. he went and he tried it in some type of. Uh, lock where he could be uh, tagged in Kevin Sullivan Sullivan came in snapmare take now. starts working on the shoulder right hand and the wrist lock stomp into the uh, or kick into the stomach area tags back in Mark Lewin. chop over the rotator cuff a couple of times does Mark keeps the rotator cuff steady in position another chop Another chop tags in Kevin. Comes in with a high knee to the rotator cuff The arm bar. Let's go it. They goes with the knee and against it. Make it hard, then a right hand over it. Tags back in, Mark Lewin. Right hand. That chop. So it goes for here. Mm-hmm. like a bow and arrow submission. And Scott looks like he's about to stand up. It looks like he's taunting the Scott McGee's partner by letting him get close. So that Kevin can draw the referee and the referee can't see the tag that was made. Go to the crowd and when they go back to the ring, the referee is getting Weaver out. He's getting Weaver out of there. While they do an illegal double team on McGee. Armbar, but he had to bring... My count told him, but he had to bring... Mark Lewin back in there so they could tag it so they could do the legal tag in front of the referee. Right hand Scott McGee but to Scott by Scott McGee a few times. Finally headbutt by Kevin Sullivan. Might not have been such a good idea because he almost fell. Kevin Sullivan did. Tags in Mark Lewin does a back ring he holds on to the neck. Looks like a choke. mean, looked like he could have choked him, but he could have been squeezing down hard, trying to get him to submit. But all that is doing is crawling, trying to get to the road stuff, probably. Okay, tags in Kevin Sullivan because he. Pulls Scott into his corner. Let's see. He's got this time Blocks the right. Blocks his head from going into the turnbuckle by putting his foot in the middle turnbuckle. And he puts Kevin Sullivan's head into the face into the turnbuckle. Turns around. Tags in his partner. In comes Johnny Weaver. Goes for a bulldog to Kevin Sullivan, gets a form of a cover, to saved by a Mark and through the ropes. Goes for another bulldog, gets thrown into the turnbuckle. Well, I think they're about to get counted out. No, it's qualified. He gets back at his corner, tags himself in, then goes back after um, Johnny. Tags back in Kevin Sullivan after doing what he believed he needed to do. Starts working on him. Holding on the wrist slug by stomping on him a little bit, then he tags back in Mark Lewitt. Start working on the shoulder, the uh, rotator cuff, to, or the, the sock together. He holds on to the shoulder, bam. As Mark Lewin comes off the top rope, he hits the rotator cuff with a high knee. Goes for a cover, if he doesn't see it. One, two, three. They win the match. They don't stop there. John, Johnny Weaver makes a mistake going after them. Drop, drop kicks the manager. This is too violent to see, so we gotta fast forward through, through it. Gotta, I believe, these days and age we would call this reversing of the decision. So they have to bring Johnny Weaver to the back, I believe, carry him to the back, literally. The ref, next mat, the next, as the ref referee runs into the ring for the next match, they go to the, uh, to Coddle and, um, the, the Gordon Sully. Talking about how uncalled for that was, which it was. Yes, why in the world would they want to go to that degree and to punishing seeing him like that? He's, and, Gordon Sully said, I particularly don't don't know, especially with that object. And then he said, or or that's what Bob Cuddle said, and Gordon said, Well, that's the thing, of course, Gary Hart, and this is part of his background, he's always been a very, very devious, but very clever manager. The thing that was so uncalled for is that they had the victory that this was unnecessary to continue to attack a young fellow like Scott McGee. Thank heavens that Angelo Mosca was there, even though he received a severe laceration on his arm, he was still capable of ridding the ring, if you will. And he, he was good. He said that they're the prettiest thing they'll ever see. The person they're about to introduce. Us too, and that's what we would call a correspondent or a backstage interviewer, named Barbara Clary. And she was interviewing a fat, um, a, an entire family who went out, went there to see the event. And he said, "We drove about 180 miles." He said, "Yes, and it was worth it." said who do you think is gonna win and I think they all said Ric Flair and the young boy, the young boy said the young boy even chose Ric Flair said there you got it. there you got it that's the opinion of the Estes family now to Tony Schiavone in the dressing room and next was Tony Schiavone talking Carly Race who was I think it's Gerald Briscoe. I'm not sure the guy next to him is. It might have been. Yeah, it's Greg Valentine. Stand, sitting next to him. And Gerald's twin brother, Jack, is actually sitting in a chair alongside uh, Harley Race. Let's see what... Let me see, let me read what Tony Shrani has to say. Of course, you know this man. Seven times world heavyweight champion, Harley Race. Mr. Ace, sure on Thanksgiving Day, the last place wanted to be was Greensboro, North Carolina. But you're here right now, and I'm sure the fans are interested in some of your thoughts. And actually, I remember this interview. Harley Race, uh, I'm hoping he only said this because he is the bad guy. He said, on any given day, Greensboro, North Carolina is the last place I want to be. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said, Facing the situation that i got to face tonight. This is the last place I'd rather be on any given day if I had to face the situation. But I've been sitting around here talking with a few of my friends that are knowledgeable about Ric Flair. They know his shortcomings. They have been around him for a number of months now. I'm getting a little bit of insight on what has been Happening to Ric Flair on the last few weeks. Please believe me tonight. Flair, I know what your shortcomings are. I know what you're, where you're hurt. And I'm gonna go I'm going after each and every one of those spots. He said there you have it, friend. Oh, hear it Hear it, friends, Tony says. The seven times world heavyweight champion Harley Race. Man who says that he is ready. Go to the ring. Ring announcer is already ready with his notes for what the next match is. I believe this is the TV title match. Actually, it's Abdullah the Butcher versus Carlos Colon. He said our next event of the evening, the one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. Then he introduced first on the corner to his left, who weighed in at 226 pounds, Carlos Colon. And his opponent from Sudan, weighing in at 400 pounds, was Abdullah the Butcher. Duel of the Butcher. But always, about two years before this, he, the first time they showed him, he was actually, I think he was uh, helping Roddy Piper against Chief Wahoo McDaniel. And that was the first time they showed him with that violent weapon. So that's what the main reason... I, um, can't really, I could start talking about this match, but I don't think I can do the full match. Anyway, to start off with uh, a lockup, gets, Dua gets, uh, Carlos in the corner. One, two, three, four, he actually has to pull Dua away from the corner, or away from Carlos is giving him a right hand another right hand headbutt this time to Carlos another right hand first choking him so another five count on Alistair got him to the three count and every time he gets to three he stops he pulls this time pulls Carlos away with the right hand and the headbutt. Carlos comes back with a forearm. Headbutt. Then our right hand to Carlos. Irish whip. Clotheslines. Carlos, elbow drop. Goes for a cut, One, two, kick out. Hmm. Let's do his feet first, does Abdullah. Hmm. Right hand. Ooh. He's working on him against the ropes. Headbutt as to Carlos. As Carlos gets to his feet. Then a right hand. Forearm from uh, from Carlos. Then another forearm. Another forearm. Getting, getting, getting him on the ropes. Then a right hand into the corner. Another right hand. Gets officially in the corner. Another forearm. I think he went for a break across the dead stomach see right hand gotta pull away from them all he'll get skull but now he took ooh that's what I was afraid of took that weapon out started uh, jabbing him with it the referee gets knocked out starts working on the knee of Abdullah the butcher puts him in a figure four at the end of the match yeah. out in comes Paul Jones with an elite with a foreign object wax Carlos with it on the head saves it in his pocket do a bitch makes the cover two three in comes Paul Jones check on his man picks up his head and to signify you one in the back they show even though angelo Mosca did have bandits put over his uh bicep and elbow you can still see the blood stain on it so he's gonna be asked something by Tony Giovanni so fans were in the dressing back in the dressing room and really a, this is an unpleasant pleasant sight here. Angelo, you got the World's Tag Team Championship match. You're supposed to be a referee again. The question is now can you referee the match? If I had one arm, I would referee this match. But boy, saw so, so what I saw there tonight, paraphrasing of course, almost brought tears to my eyes. Saw that crimson red and it reminded me of a twenty one year old boy called my son. Mark Lewin, I felt the wrath of the spike spike. That's all I did was get my Latin blood in an uproar. Cause when I was carrying that younger and twenty-one year old boy back to the dress room, I said There's no place in the NWA of professional wrestling for these acts. I've done a a lot of nasty acts in my time, but I've never been a malicious man. I have humanity and heart. For youth, that youth is what makes that professional wrestling go. So I leave you with these words. Just remember, blood is thicker than water. Lewin. Well, you heard it from Angelo Ascot, and he is very upset. You see, Scott McGee is not in any good shape at all right now. Angelo, one quick question before we go to Barbara Clary. Our Championship match between Flair and Race. Oh, you're upset. Thoughts about that one worked out with Ric Flair many, many times. Never seen a man that's more ready, has the attitude and the aptitude to be world champion. I know Harley Race is a tough individual, but I know, and I think in my own heart, Ric Flair will prevail. Let's go to Barbara Clary, Clary uh, Greensboro Coliseum. Here with Annie and Jean who came from Raleigh, not- South Carolina. Is it worth the drop? Yes, ma'am. Every minute of it. We'll go to wrestling matches a lot. Who's your favorite wrestler? Charlie Brown, Ric Flair. And who do you expect to win the big match? Ric Flair. Ric Flair. That's like the second group of people to say that. So Barbara Clary said, It looks like everybody's pulling for Ric Flair. It'll be interesting to see who wins the match. Well, let's get. Let's go to Tom Miller. Next event. Next match is one fall. Tag team match. With a 45 minute time limit. This has to be a Slate. Dick Slater. and Cowboy Bob Wharton Jr. match. Because. One's got a Cowboy hat on with. Uh. Chaps on, and uh, I forgot what you call that kind of vest. He said, to their left, in the state of Oklahoma, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, who, st- who weighed 260 pounds, Martin and white, Mar- and, and young Youngblood's younger brother, Mark Youngblood, was teaming up with Wahoo McDaniel who's weighed 230 pounds did Mark Young with. Their opponents, they're making this official, it's Dick Slater, Bob Orton Jr. Dick Slater was from Florida, weighed 235 pounds. Bob Orton Jr. I think was from um, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, and he weighed 238 pounds. And, referee Tommy Young is the referee for this match. So, tries to to get, Seems to settle down first. Off comes the um, the chaps by Bob Orton Jr. He hands it to the person in the ring, pulls up his uh, knee pads and whatever else he had to do with his boots. Then I believe, okay, they call for the bell yet. See who decides to start the match for the baby face team. Now let's see what happens here. Let's see. Okay, it's O McDaniel that starts the match. lock up, and they're already in the corner. Dick Slater turns them around in the corner. Tommy Young has to go in the middle Let's see if he breaks the rules. He can't even break them apart. Chops from both sides. Gets Dick Slater in his corner. Irish webs him into the corner. Goes over to Bob, J- Bob Orton Jr. Like, we got one over on. Gets back in the ring. Backs off of Wahoo after what just happened. Walk See what he goes for. Actually, it looks like he was going for almost an arm bar. But quickly, uh, Chief Wahoo gets out of it, throws him over with a hip toss. Or an arm wringer. See. It's almost like a wrist lock and tags in Mark Young, but Backdrop over the arm mm. And uh hits him with almost like a it yeah. he takes his arms like it's a bat and hits him across the the labrum. I Think is how to say it then he goes into an arm bar Now, looking at this angle of the ring, I'm amazed that they didn't have somebody mop up the ring, so nobody would get, uh, so nobody would get contaminated with the blood from earlier in the night. See, Mark gets into the ropes by, D- by Dick Slater, throw it off of the Irish Whip, but ducks the child, picks up um, Dick Slater, throws him with the body slam Okay, uh double leg takedown into a jackknife cover to kick out by mark a tight headlock into a hammer lock and done by Dick Slater and Mark goes into with a hammerlock of his own. See, Slater's trying to see how to get out of it. I'm gonna go for the old fashioned slip or trip. Finally gets it. Gets pushed. Um. Gets pushed by Mark's foot. Goes over the top rope. Is asking for a disqualification to be shown. Claiming that that's throwing him over the top rope. Even though he holds on to the rope. Referee's asking him. If he did it on purpose or not. So when he said no. He said no I'm not. Not disqualifying him. Gotta continue this match. Yeah, they they explained it the best way. His momentum of his body is what carried Dick Slater over. It It wasn't getting pushed by the foot of Mark Youngwood. A great uh, great point to make at the center of the ring they're still they're trying to see what to do next or at least later is could be going for a test of strength i'm not sure yeah that's exactly what it is turned into a wrist slot could be going fresh leg sweep cover to kick out grabs uh mark young from face lock tags and Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. Runs to the ropes, comes back. High knee. Into close to the ribs. Mark Youngwood Picks him up. Probably for a backbreaker. Picks him up. High elevation in that. Ooh. Into his knee. Throws him down. Oh, he was fussing to the referee. About what just happened or almost like come on you gotta gotta press him for the attitude he had and how he threw him to the room to the map as he was getting back in his corner that uh, Bob Orton jr. went for a snapmare on mark Let's see he goes across the corner Ooh, elbow drop misses the elbow drop because that gets out of the ring i believe but he's going for i believe he's trying to outsmart uh mark young but but mark young ends up hitting him with a hip toss anyway next they tags himself in um This might be going past an hour here. Um, this might to to call everything from beginning to end might take too long for some people. So after I finish calling this match, I'm gonna talk about the ending of the rest of the matches. Okay. Okay. Lock up side headlock. Uh to Bill to Bill Jr. No. Side headlock. Gotta f- rewind that. Okay, good. Try where I need it. Lock up. Bobart Jr. gets a side headlock on. Mark Youngblood, Mark Youngblood gets him off with an Irish whip and a crisscross. He gets picked after Dick Slater makes the tag. Bob Orton Jr. picks up, catches Mark Youngblood and he picks him up for a backbreaker. Here comes Dick Slater with an elbow. Right clearly, cleanly on Mark Youngblood close to clean he turns around like uh I guess Eddie Guerrero got the idea from Dick Slater I don't know put his foot crop. put his foot on his head and then he turns around over his face and I used to see Eddie Guerrero do that all the time when I was a kid so he might have gotten the idea from Dick Slater Let's see left hand to mark two or three times the right hand, knocks down, mark Let's see, sum up mm. I really forgot, I believe he might call that a gut wrench suplex I think he kicked out of that, yeah, too. have a two count Throws him outside of the rings so that Warren Jr. can can uh, assault him. Referee made a big mistake by fussing at Robert well, McDaniel instead of fussing at uh, Bob Warren Jr. first. See what happens. Ooh, that's Mark Youngblood back over the still barricade, days before guardrails, so I don't know what to call this, what to call what the fans sat behind, all I know is that guardrails and barricades uh, are a lot, ba- it's a lot easier to keep fans from, from getting through, or breaking through you see when people do jump over, it's people that are trained. It's not the fans. I think it's uh, it's a good thing. And I'm not alone because former pro wrestler, Nick Bowkwinkle said, told Vince McMahon himself, how it was smart, that instead of using guardrails, he did the barricade the way he did. Because it makes it even harder for the fans to get through to try to hit the audience. To try to hit the wrestlers. In comes. Bob Orton Jr. Starting to work on Mark Youngblood. By going against his neck. Like a yeah. With a rear chin lock. At first just looked like pulling his, his head back. To try to get a submission. out. it's rear chin lock. Gets to his feet. Mark Youngblood gets out of it hitting him a couple of times with an elbow but he ends up running into a big boot by Bob Jr. neat no it's a stomp or uh, yeah stomp or a rake over the eyes to uh to Mark Youngwood goes for a sleeper hold of sort Okay, he tags in. Dick Slater gets thrown off by Mark. Slater comes in and they stop Mark and getting to his corner. Mark gets hit with a headbutt by Dick Slater. Irish whip to to Mark Youngblood by Dick Slater. Elbow to him. Mark Youngblood knocks him down. Goes for a vertical suplex it looks like. To Mark Youngblood gets it. cover to kick out by Mark Young, but he should've hooked the leg. Before that, um, blasted, uh, pile-driver against he drops. Ooh. Mark went uh, for a shoulder block, Looked like they hit each other in the face instead, knocked each other down. Now, they both need, uh, both need to get to their partners. Bob Orton Jr. gets a tag. He accidentally pushes Mark into Bahu. It gets uh, he tags him in, chops everywhere to both Slater and Junior Orton Jr. Bahu it brings them at the meeting of the minds. Then Irish whip to uh, Bob Orton Jr. right hand or left hand in his gut. Hmm, atomic drop, Bob Orton, Jr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let up. Chop knocks him down. Irish whip. Makes him up, turns around, body slam. That could have been an elbow, let's see. One, two, kick out. On No, after the one count, if was on the rope, they had to stop the count. Then, with both of his feet, he went for an eye rake with his feet on both eyes. And then, a tag to, uh, Slater. And, comes Slater with several stomps to, or kit, no, it is stomps, to Laboo McDaniels. right hand and then a chop from Wahoo then a, so is a chop and rides back and forth chop from Wahoo right from Slater chop from Wahoo right to Slater right from Slater right hand from Slater Slater's almost knocked down and side headlock belly to back suplex to Wild McDaniel turns over to one to another right hand. Right shoulder up to another right hand, Shoulder up. He gets to the rope, so you put a shoulder up. Bending leg drop by the to Lohan McDaniel. Hmm. Tags in Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. They do a double... Irish whip to uh, Lohu, then, uh, double elbows, knocks Swallow McDaniel down, mm, elbow, over, um, Lohu's, uh, throat, chest area, i go for a knee drop, gets it, one, two, kick out, Tag into Slater holds Wahoo, but he gets out of the way. Does Wahoo and Bob Jr. gets hit with the el- with the elbow instead? Atomic drop to Slater gets a chop or bark young like a couple of times. He tags himself in End, the Irish Whip, double chomps. Big drop. Bob Orton Jr. in a high knee to knock uh, Buffalo out of the ring. He gets tagged in by Dick Slater. Headbutt by Dick Slater, Mark Youngblood. Right hand to Mark Youngblood. Drop kick to, to Orton by Youngblood. They show Cameraman chose a shot of Wahoo outside the floor. On the floor, drop kick by Mark Youngblood, Bill Slater, and Orton Jr. Ooh, when he misses this drop kick. Orton when he makes the cover, where he chokes him, to go for a double suplex. First, put him on top of the turnbuckle. Then, Orton could be going for the for the metal rope um, superplex. Gets it. One, two, three. They beat. Uh, Youngblood and uh, and McDaniel, but that's not over. Daniel still chopping uh Slater, and then he eye rakes Bob Orton Jr. Slater comes in, rakes his eye, and go to destroy that arm of his or hurt it really bad, I think they succeeded. So they show in the back, um, um, Tony Schiavone with Ric Flair in the back. This time Ric Flair is wearing a regular t-shirt. He's already dressed to compete. And it's some type of, uh, I believe, gem shirt. I'm just not sure what it's saying. to former heavyweight champion and of course Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngwood. He said, Rick, I've been over in Harley's dressing room. He's been talking to his friends. He says he said he had something prepared and I was wondering what do you think of that? Rick Flair said, well, I hope that he has prepared match of of the lifetime. Myself, Steamboat and Youngwood even sitting here, we know that in a few moments, we'll, we're going to climb, be climbing into that ring with all of the marbles on the line, tag teams for themselves, and a title for Red case. He said, I've prepared myself as hard mentally and physically as I can prepare myself, ready for anything, and I want to take this opportunity in front of all of these Wonderful people that supported us. Wish Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat. All the luck in the world. And and that they helped me. Then Youngblood said. Tonight is our night. I will tell you what Rick. Worked long and hard for it. Not to to me and I know to people that are watching. Thoracad 83. Or the serving World Heavyweight Champion. Know that you've. Trained with Rick and my. Rick and myself, Rick's gem, is taking a toll because proven to everybody around the area exactly what the flair for the gold means. Now, Rick and I have got a match against Jerry and Jack Briscoe. Probably one of the most important matches of our entire life, Rick. Never think of it. This is our most important match. now we are going for the goal for an unprecedented 5th time. We are ready mentally prepared without a doubt Jack and Jill Briscoe you will see your inevitable end coming soon. Tony Schiavone said that they had some highlights of those matches to show them they didn't edited it out for the network but they did have Dusty Rhodes in the back with Barbara Clary. But she said everybody in the stinks. Dusty Rhodes, how do you feel? It's a big thrill to be in such a great such a great town flare for the gold big Flair." we are running a little bit of audio problems here. Oh, that's why they don't have uh, the audio, the words the right way. Because you can't hear it. And they showed Dusty's name actually in red colors. They said how Dusty said it all that that wrestling history was being made and that's really what matters Or what mattered at the time So just say what happened Charlie Brown and I think okay Charlie Brown was going up against Greg Kabuki for the tv title And he was putting his mask on the line against the title it was a 60 minute time limit but for the, for the first, before the first uh, quarter of that hour, th- the TV title was on the line. So he pinned Kabuki at, I believe it was eight minutes to win back the TV title. Uh, Gary Hart could not believe it, so he jumped in the ring. And he threw his jacket down, like, what just happened here? The next match is Roddy Piper versus Greg Hammer Valentine in a doll collar match. Remember, uh, he pulled all uh, pulled R- Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper pulled Ricky Steamboat off of the ring ropes. With the chain he hit him with the chain then he wrapped the chain around his legs to pin him for the victory what i really remember were two things right piper in the back saying to greg saying to greg valentine pointing to the ear that was damaged in the match is that the best you can do got one more ear to go and i'm not exaggerating He did damage his ear because he, because when he was, because they asked, because when, uh, Piper was talking about it, he said, what, what did you say? I still have bad hearing in this ear because of that match. So, yeah, imagine how severe that was. Oh, I can see what the, what the gym shirt is. It's body mechanics. Ric Flair still had that shirt on. That was probably the gym he would train at. Said, Tony was telling him. He said, of course I was in Harley Race's dressing room. He was in there, Slater Orton and Robin McDaniel. By the way, that's what really set up this match right here. Harley Race set up the $25,000 bounty on Ric Flair's uh, head to put him out of wrestling, They went after his neck, tried to inj- re-injure it, and put him out of wrestling. one point, he actually si- said he was considering retiring. But I think about a week or two later, he returned with the neck brace on, and he had one of those small uh, baseball bats that was made of metal, silver. The color was silver, but it was still hard enough. So you know that that was just to show how serious the situation was that ended up setting up a match right here, it's a big deal. Right here while McDaniel was sitting right next to him, um, while Tony was talking to him, Tony said, he said, while McDaniel is also with them, of course, and he said, Saw what they did to Wahoo, seemed like they were pretty happy about it. Said, well, it should be happy for the moment, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day, the day after that, they're not going to be very happy at all. Whatever they've done to Wahoo, we don't know the extent of his injury yet. are going to have to face up to it in the na- very near future. for far as Harley Race... I want you to get in that ring and I want you to do everything in the world to keep me running the World Heavyweight Championship. Because that's the kind of match I expect out of you. You are a heck of a man. I'll never take that away from you, Race. But I'm ready and thanks to Wahoo and thanks to Steamboat and thanks to Youngblood, I'm prepared. Wahoo played a major part in getting me where I am today. I want Wahoo to know in the near future, he needs anything from me at any time. He can count on me. And then he looks in the camera and says, Race, count the moments, brother. Where you're gonna get in that cage. You're not gonna, Norton and Slayer, just have Ric Flair to come down with. Then Tony asked Wahoo about it. And Wahoo, this man's ready. Well, you know, I know he's ready, Tony, and I'm glad he paid me a compliment compliment by saying that I got him ready for this and helped him. But the man that had to come to me because I wrestled against him, I wrestled with him. Been in the ring with him I've been jogging down the road when it was hard to run. We were sore, tired. Orton and Sarah was trying to take over. They're trying to hurt him again. But he got here. He's here for the flare, for the gold, brother. I'll tell you one thing. I'll bet all of my money on Ric Flair. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see history made right here in North Carolina. The world's heavyweight championship belt. Coming right back to Charlotte. There. And I guarantee you, I'm behind you 100%. Then they go back down the ringside. This time, Don Kernodal in a suit, is talking to Barbara Claren. And she Oh, because the tag titles are about to be on the line, she talks to Don Karnotl, a former tag team champion himself, the sergeant slaughter. She said, do you think the Briscoes going to keep their belt? I tell you won? And the Briscoes, a great brother tag team, the Steamboat and the Youngblood are a great team. Russell them both, it's a great night. I'd like to wish them all good luck and I'd like to see a great match. Well the last match. Who do you think is gonna win that one? Flair's in shape. I've been friends with Flair. I'd like to see Flair take that title right here at Greensboro tonight. Okay. Double chops to uh to Jack Briscoe. This is at the end of the match. Ricky Steam- Rick Steamboat gets tagged in by Jack Jay Briscoe gets picked up by Ricky Steamboat and he kick, drop kicks, straight drop kicks, um, Jack, um, Briscoe. accidentally re- restarted that part of the match. Let's see. Looks like a thrust to Jack Grisco by Ricky Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat tags and Mark Youngblood. Looks, uh, the old-fashioned body slam that when you turn them around Oh uh, full turnaround, and then he picks up, um, Mark, and, uh, throws him on top of Jack Risco for the three count. They get the titles. They win back the titles. By the way, they, these titles they won, they just brought them back recently, and they put them on, a uh, believe... Um... In Ring of Honor, the... Two-thirds of Villain Enterprises, PCO, and, uh... Brody... I forgot Brody's last name. All I know is that he's known as the, uh... Bounty Hunter. Brody King, that's who it is. They brought the... Revived those titles, same graphic and everything, same design, and made them the champion. Doug Dillinger was actually part of the camera crew at this time. He eventually became real life and character head of security for WCW. It's an interesting time to look at. Ric Flair... I never thought, I never knew Ric Flair to ever connect this move, but he ended up connecting the top rope, uh, by, Ross Body Press on Harley Race to win the title. Everybody was running in there to hug him and to congratulate him, even his first wife, uh, Leslie. Ran in there to congratulate him And it meant so much to him that he actually mentioned um, Charlie Brown's real name Jimmy Valiant So that set the tone for the next um, Year pay-per-view Of the for the pay-per-view and I, uh, hope the people who hear this enjoy, um, what I talk about, and, uh, I'm trying to. trying to think of the best thing to talk about on, uh, my automatic, um, page, because I just spoke about um, one of Jim Ross's new topics was in your house beware of dog. And I actually, I don't know what I was thinking. I was gonna talk about that, and then talk about what Jim Ross had to say about it, but I don't remember what he had to say. So, I'm going to have to... So, what I'm going to have to do... Is... Think about, okay... What do I really want to talk about? You know... Oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about... Mm -hmm gonna talk about the, the, the first year or the first few months of the NWO's reign. And I wanna uh wanna keep it as much about um WCW as I can because I how dark um WWF had gotten. But of course I do want to talk a lot about the WWF. So right now I'll just on automatic, I'll talk about um I already did do this before But never on Mac. So I'll talk about The formation of the NWO The uh And how How they came about And what happened after They were And everything So thank you and goodbye